So hello and welcome to today's podcast where we will discuss refugee integration in Cyprus and Germany. This is a part of the Migration 2.0 podcast series, which is a collaboration between the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung in Cyprus and Project Phoenix. And this is the fourth installment in the series and is also a part of the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung's Cyprus's Beyond the Divide series as well. So I'm Holly McCammett, and I'm the Training and Development Lead for Project Phoenix. But today I have the privilege of hosting this episode with Shvika Deleva, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Casamidis, and Kai Satefi. So a quick bit about these organizations and the series. So Friedrich Ebert Stiftung, or is it, as it is better known in English, the Foundation for Social Democracy, is the oldest political foundation in Germany, and they have been involved in Cyprus since 1986. Uh, they aim to strengthen civil society, promote civic discourse, and conduct quality research. Meanwhile, Project Phoenix is one of the newest NGOs in Cyprus. They are a young European NGO that is primarily based in Nicosia and works towards a systemic change of the migrant ecosystem and towards greater inclusion. And I've had the pleasure of working with them for a bit over a year now. So this podcast series, Migration 2.0, aims to explore issues related to migration through multiple lenses by amplifying migrant voices and shedding light on migration issues. We hope to promote inclusion, highlight the, the diversity of migrant experiences and humanize migrants by including and centralizing their voices in the discourse. So today we are fortunate enough to have three guests with us. So in Cyprus, we have Elizabeth Casanidis, the executive manager at Caritas Cyprus. So Elizabeth, could you tell us a bit more about your involvement with asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants in Cyprus? Thank you, Holly. Um, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you. Um, thank you for the invitation to the podcast to contribute. Um, Caritas Cyprus is part of the Caritas International Federa um, Confederation. And so it's an we're an organization committed to social justice um, and providing support to vulnerable groups, which in Cyprus has included the increasing number of migrants, asylum seekers, and refugees. Um, Cyprus is receiving, since 2018, has been receiving more asylum seekers per capita than any place else in Europe which for a place this small is has been quite overwhelming for the systems, um, which has led to a dramatic increase in the number of our beneficiaries. So, um, and we provide them with um, administrative and psychosocial support advice um, and mainly trying to get them um, into the independent living um, situations that they, that they need to, to be able to begin to uh, integrate, which is a very strong word, I think. But. It, yeah, um, at least transition. Right. I would use the word transition. transition. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't sure whether to go with mm. integrate or transition, but we can we could say transition. And yes, from what I've talked to, finding a place to live is the most important aspect. Oh, um, well, thank you very much, uh, Elizabeth. So in Germany, we are lucky to have two guests. So we have Zivka, <laughs> Zivka Deleva. And she is the director at an asylum and reception center in Berlin. She's also on the board of the Interkulturanstalten Westend, a cultural space and research center for asylum seekers and refugees in Berlin. So it would be great if you could tell us a bit more about your background and your work with asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants in Germany. Hi, Holly. Hi, in the round. Uh, thanks for inviting me. 
Um, it's nice to be here. Uh, well, following 2015, I had moved to Berlin in 2013. In 2015, I was on the job market, basically, with a new position <laughs> in my sleeves uh, to started running a refugee center with a capacity of 400 people and uh, in Berlin. And um, ever since I have been uh, basically doing that and uh, on the side uh, voluntarily helping refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, third country nationals in Germany to get better rights, better, um, yeah, well, to get through the system uh, which sometimes can be also very challenging for even people who can speak the language. Um, for those who live in Germany and don't speak um, proper German, you would know what I what I have to say or what I what I talk about. Uh, anyways, yeah, my role as uh, in running the refugee center is basically offering uh, providing accommodation to asylum seekers who are in the beginning of their process or that have been given the recognition as a refugee or they are already recognized as asylum seekers or are in the process of getting there or never getting there. Um, it also provides the, yeah, the initial housing, then the initial uh, psych psychological, social support, um, medical support and um, deliberation throughout the system and in the regular system and we also provide uh, families with their support uh, supporting their um, children and um, exactly basically all their basic needs um, and the other organization where i'm a board kind of grew out of the need not only to have uh, refugees and asylum seekers in the official system, but also to introduce them into our neighborhood and to kind of want to integrate them from within. This integration, not the one that everybody likes to so uh, uh, easily talk about, uh, integration in the country, integration in the system, but uh, without um, literally integrating him into our daily lives. And this is what we do in uh, our Vestent um, NGO. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, and we also have another guest from Germany, and that is Kais. <laughs> so um, Kais is a master's student uh, in, of European studies at Wolpe Universität Flensburg. Um, and he's also a civil society and cultural activist, and he's currently working as an investigative journalism sector for the Parliament Committee in Hamburg, and he also happens to be my former classmate. <laughs> so, um, guys, if you could tell us a bit more about your background and some of the work you've done with asylum seekers, refugees, and migrants in Germany. Yeah, good to be around uh, in this discussion. Thank you for inviting me. My name is Kai Satifi uh, from Afghanistan originally, uh, right now living in Hamburg. Um, I arrived uh, as an asylum seeker in Germany uh, in the beginning of 2015, uh, end of Germany and end of January. Um, and uh, yeah, we, I can say also end of Germany because I arrived in Flensburg, which is on top of the top. Um, 
uh, yeah, it was a great uh, experience with many fears and and uh, anxieties, but also a lot of uh, uh, opportunities uh, uh, beyond those problems. Uh, luckily, in one and a half year, I could teach myself the language and started actively taking part in uh, in helping uh, um, refugees myself, uh, I became a cultural and language mediator uh, in a psychosocial um, project uh, for uh, refugees who had traumatic experiences and needed to uh, kind of digest it uh, throughout their residence in the new homeland. So yeah, I had the uh, chance and also the pleasure to work in this very important project and uh, for three and a half years afterwards, uh, like meanwhile, I was studying uh, European cultures and society in the same uh, faculty as Holly, uh, where we met actually and uh, yeah. Uh, after this project, I worked at the University of Flensburg in another refugee project uh, in which we were helping refugees to start their studies over uh, by providing them uh, intermediate to advanced level uh, language courses and also uh, the teaching and uh, educational culture. Uh, introducing them to the educational culture in Germany with small courses. So that was also a really nice adventure for me, um, uh, which I did for almost five years. Uh, then just when Corona started, I moved to Berlin uh, to find uh, a new uh, challenge for myself. Uh, uh, but um, Unluckily, in the same uh, field, I couldn't find any uh, job uh, until recently when I moved back to Hamburg uh, uh, in the beginning of 2021. Uh, I started working with the Parliamentarian Committee on investigating uh, a big uh, political and tax scandal. And at the site, uh, part-time, I'm working uh, uh, volunteer uh, and also freelancing as uh, uh, interpreter or translator for refugees. Um, so this is my background. Like uh, I kind of have a, a hybrid role. I am a refugee who happens to also help refugees. Oh, thank you so much, Kais and. Uh... Yeah, so I'm really excited to have you all here today. I think we have a, quite a good um, panel for this discussion and I'm excited to get started. So this brings us to the theme about theme of today's episode, refugee integration or, you know, refugees and asylum seekers transitioning to their new life in Cyprus and Germany. So we are going to discuss how the perception of asylum seekers and refugees shapes the policies and treatments of newcomers and vice versa. And I found that this sort of discussion proves most fruitful when multiple perspectives are utilized. And today, these perspectives are from Cyprus and Germany, which provide quite different contexts, but they still manage to have concurring themes. 
So while both EU countries, Cyprus and Germany, are quite different regarding their situations, Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean of less than a million inhabitants and is currently occupied by Turkey in the northern part of the island, and it has been since 1974. And Germany is the largest country in the EU, and they are arguably the most influential country as well, and they have been reunified since 1990. So while Cyprus's geographical location and political situation make it an easier country for asylum seekers to reach, the social support available to help new arrivals in Cyprus is quite limited, as Elizabeth has mentioned, and the rate of asylum applications being accepted is very low. Much of the energy in Cyprus is utilized to working on its own issues, which include corruption, the division, and the frozen ethnic conflict. Meanwhile, Germany has the economical resources to accept more asylum seekers and refugees, and they have um, recently accepted more I think, yeah, around five, six years ago. And they have reaped the benefits of providing opportunities for refugees to economically and socially integrate and find a way to live in their new home, which is especially important for Germany because they have an aging population. And so while these countries have two very different circumstances, um, this isn't necessarily reflected in the European legislation. So much of the European asylum system is determined by the Dublin regulation, which determines where new arrivals can apply for asylum. And this typically does mean that they have to apply for asylum in the country that they arrive in, in the EU and the agreeing countries. However, most asylum seekers do arrive in the southern, less economically advantaged countries in the EU, such as Cyprus, which, as Elizabeth also mentioned, does have the highest rate per capita in the EU currently. And so this doesn't necessarily reflect which countries have resources to support um, new asylum seekers. And of course, this does not have a positive um, impact on asylum seekers and refugees in multiple different aspects. Um, Furthermore, in countries that are as different as Germany and Cyprus, the perception of asylum seekers, refugees and migrants has impacted how they are treated. And this sometimes can have a positive effect, but it doesn't appear to be headed in that direction in the long-term trend. So I think we can jump into the questions now. Um, So Elizabeth, if you could tell us a bit about how asylum seekers and refugees are portrayed in the Cypriot media, that would be great. Um, Well, you know, I think, again, I I would make a note that Cypriots are very um, hospitable. And we have been, as an NGO, particularly during the COVID period, we benefited from a tremendous, an outpouring of public um, interest in giving and in volunteering. Now, that said, that's sort of at the, on the personal level. I think in the media, unfortunately, um, we have seen an increase. And we're not, Cyprus is not unique. This is a, a European phenomenon, an increase in sort of anti-migrant, anti immigrant, um, almost racist um, portrayal in the media. Um, Cyprus, as you've said, Holly, is, um, you know, 
the, the narrative in Cyprus is um, affected very much by the division and the ongoing division of Cyprus. So a lot of while there are boats that arrive from other parts from the Mediterranean, um, uh, most of the asylum seekers that we're talking about that are now overwhelming the system in Cyprus are coming from the north, from the Turkish um, Cypriot community. And that brings with it particular feeling, a particular sense of illegitimacy, I will say, that gets added. So not only do you have this sort of group, you know, an increasing number of migrants arriving in a very small, somewhat homogeneous society, um, taxing its resources and taxing its systems, because the same welfare office that deals with all of these migrants is the same welfare office that deals with the general population. There isn't a parallel bureaucracy. They sort of enter the hospitals in the same way. You know, it's kind of everywhere in society. And so it's taking it a little bit by storm, if you will. Um, but it also comes with a little bit of, um, uh, I want to say, a, some baggage, political baggage, because they are coming from the Turkish um, across. They're irregular in their crossing. It's not, you know, they're not arriving. They, the only, the government of Cyprus, the Republic of Cyprus is the only recognized government on the island. So in order to seek asylum, once you reach the territory of the EU, which is the island of Cyprus, you must present yourself to the authorities, um, to the Republic which means you have to cross the green line. But again, there's no legal way to do that. It's this sort of question of how is an asylum seeker, there's no legal way to do that. And it, it brings, unfortunately, a lot of negativity. There are some um, parliamentary elections. I think an indicator for us, which is worrying, is that in some of the parties have chosen to go with a very anti-migrant message in their campaigning for the um, municipal elections, which are coming up at the end of May. And that's disturbing. I mean, when all of a sudden it becomes an issue of, you know, I, I, I'm worried about my security because of the migrants and, you know, picture then the boats arriving or people crossing. It's, it's negative. Yeah, that sums mm -hmm. it up very well from experiences while talking to Cypriots. They do feel it as it is more of a betrayal because they came in from the north because of the situation where Turkey is occupying it. And most sometimes... They may see the humanitarian side when they meet the people face to face, but sometimes they mm -hmm. don't either. So well, but they're not. And as I said, I would say that our experience is that it's they're not mutually exclusive. The same person who's worried about their security because of these African arrivals from the Turkish occupied north are the same people who will donate diapers. I mean, again, I think it's it's human nature to be to have different points of view, unfortunately. Um, but it is true that they are right now conflicting in Cyprus. Yeah, that, that describes it very well. So thank you, Elizabeth. Um, Shvika and um, and Kais, did I get this right? That's okay. You're 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 gonna oh, get there. No, I need to. You're get gonna there. get there. It's fine. It's kind of difficult, also. Yeah. Okay. So how would you guys describe the situation in Germany right now? And you can decide who goes first. Kais, you want to go? Let's keep the same order. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, well, if you if you turn on a TV, if you turn on a TV in Germany at the moment, it's like it's you, everything like turns around. It's Germany's huge election year. So basically, you have Bundestagwahl, you have like the general parliament, you have local parliaments being elected throughout the countries. You have new, we're expecting new chancellor this year because finally Merkel is stepping down. So yeah, migrants, refugees, all of the above is permanently in the media. And 
exactly like Elizabeth said, it's not always good. It's pretty much actually on the other side now. I think people have been down for um, since 2017. Um, things have been like progressing in a negative way in terms of media. Out of the optimism in 2015 with all the rhetorics of like how we're going to make it, how we're helping um, this huge crisis, which uh, to my uh, tasting was not something that just happened out of the ordinary, just like, oh, wow, there is there is war, there is crisis. Yeah, it was, thing, it was a thing that was just coming towards Europe. Um, so out of this optimism, we started seeing like backlashes. And after 2017, I have the feeling like it started really going downwards. And with the success, with the current success of the Alternative for Germany, IFD, uh, political party. Exactly, it is fear that goes into people's bones. And uh, with Corona, with COVID currently uh, being also played on the fear side, you can just literally put those two things as probably going to be the most important uh, parts in the new parliament campaigning political campaigning of any sorts, um, which is very unfortunate. And it is exactly like that. Yeah, you can, the, the same people that are going to vote for the right radical parties or right central parties are going to be maybe the people who donate food and uh, clothes and everything that they want to, that they find, okay, that's a human nature, that's good, thing to do but they're still gonna go for the other platform the one that speaks bad the one that says that refugees and migrants and asylum seekers are the ones that are putting us in danger of something of the the unknown and it is fear it is fear is the biggest part that is played uh in in these um in the media at the moment this is my opinion I, I would agree with that. That does seem to be a pretty concurrent theme, at least in the places I have lived in the U.S. It's evident as well where you have people voting for um, right-wing immigration policies, but then helping out the um, people who are new to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is a pretty common theme. Kais, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I would say this is a very broad issue in Germany since uh, the number of people who are coming to Germany through various channels differ. Like we have migrants who come regularly from all over the world uh, in Germany for economic purposes, for work uh, and for uh, education purpose. Uh, they are one, one side of the uh, equation and uh, uh, and, and we don't have much problem in that uh, field. But uh, then we have the asylum seekers and refugees uh, who are um, mostly in the first five years of their life uh, dependent to the welfare state of uh, EU countries uh, in a European context. Um, so for me as uh, a first-hand experience of myself as a as somebody 
who has uh, uh, benefited from this uh, system for the first uh, uh, one year and a half and then becoming a taxpayer and then also seeing what you contribute. I have had both feelings. There are various discussions. Uh, 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 the first one is bureaucratic problems uh, for refugees. There are so many problems that can be avoided if these loopholes are repetitive uh, regulations within the governmental sector or system uh, is uh, doesn't exist. Uh, for example, we have we have a long waiting time for uh, for the future of each individual who applies for asylum, uh, just because many directories or many departments are involved in checking their asylum case and. There are political factors and political parties use the, the this this phenomena of migration and refugees as as uh, as one of their chess pieces, I would say, uh, to gain influence or to 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 gain points on their opponents. So there are realities on the ground which one needs to cope with it, and then there are things that don't exist, but the media and politics kind of play on that to create public opinion just because they want to win the elections. Uh, and for me, as a refugee, uh, uh, this was hard to understand for the first couple of years when I arrived in Germany. Uh, and understanding this system and like and once you understand it, then as a normal person, you don't have to cope with it a lot. You you see what is real and what is uh, unreal. Um, and for me, that was very important to distinguish between. Uh, I think right now Germany, uh, as Jipka uh, uh, said. Uh, is dealing with the elections, so much of the uh, noise that we will hear it will be political, uh, more than uh, practical in the lives of the refugees. Uh, although it will affect them, obviously, because regulations will be made in the last months of uh, parties in power. Uh, but for me, uh, there is another phenomena also. Germans with refugee background who are considered as refugees still uh, and who don't, who cannot live with the dignity that a bio-German, as they call it here, lives. Uh, so that is another phenomena. And there are like millions of people who have refugee background but are born uh, in this country and they are dealt with in most of the uh, also governmental offices uh, uh, as refugees uh, with a second-class kind of regard, uh, um, not as a normal citizen, which kind of also makes me worry about my future because I'm going to become also a German citizen. And uh, uh, most of the citizen, uh, most of the refugees say, uh, because they don't know much, uh, if they're not in contact with various layers of society, they say that, okay, these problems of racism or uh, discrimination will be until I'm not German. And when I am German, I have a German passport, then everything will be okay, which is not true. 
So it is a social phenomena which should be dealt with in an educational level from the basic school year of students until the oldest stuff generations, which are the retired people who came together, come together sometimes in, in events and talk about refugees. So I think throughout this spectrum, uh, these topics should be dealt with, dialogue. I think there are so much ignorance then, 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 then that, that makes the fear. When the ignorance is gone, uh, I don't think there's fear. And every event that I go in some villages, for example, cultural events, uh, the first encounter is weird, but uh, after 15 minutes, when you talk about common interest topics, uh, you find people who read the same books as you have read, uh, or they have the same hobbies as you do. And then you just uh, say that we used to do this, but in a slightly different way. Uh, then people uh, feel a sense of ease. Uh, and, 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 and the most important thing is language. I can make myself understand, create that common ground because I speak the language. But most of the refugees in their first two, three years, they cannot speak the language and uh, they they stay in this there and they stay in their bubble and the bio society or the German society or any other host society stay in their own bubble. Uh, like these are the issues I'm dealing with uh, every day in my life since I'm in Germany. And um, I think in, in, in throughout the, 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 the society and government level, these are common problems in every country. I've lived also in, in France um, during my Erasmus uh, semester. I saw the same type of uh, unease when, when a migrant or a refugee doesn't speak the language, there is an unease. Uh, and there are so many unanswered questions and suspicions until somebody becomes a bridge and removes those doubts and questions. So for me, mostly the cultural and society aspect is more important than the political game, which is normal. It's going on in every country. Okay, thank you, Kais. Um, so you did, yeah, um, you already answered the second question. Um, but yeah, um, could you explain briefly what Bio-German is because I understand, um, but I don't know if our listeners will. <laughs> uh, well, the, the phrase Bio-Deutsch or pure German is used sometimes among, uh, among Germans. Uh, it's, uh, if it's just an insistence on where your grandparents or your parents are from. Um, or basically, if you don't look white enough, uh, then you will be asked or confronted with this bio or unbio Deutsch question. It's not in every setting, but it's a phenomenon. It exists. It exists. It's 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 not only the current refugees who are dealing with this. Uh, it's also the, the 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 migrants and refugees who have been here for like almost a century who came like uh, as Gastarbeiter or guest workers uh, from various uh, European countries, uh, they still also cope with this being not Bio-Deutsch or German enough. Okay, yeah, that 
describes it pretty well. But I have to clear it up in the in the governmental level or in civil rights. There's no there's no difference. It's just a so social phenomena that exists among people. Uh, in front of law, of course, we are all equal. Luckily, in this country, <laughs> <laughs> once you get the refugee status, uh, I mean, but that's a, that's that's a, a lovely segue. I mean, I think the point that I would make really, and it to pull from crisis that the, you know, the exactly that the the law or the rules or the procedures exist. I have to say in Cyprus. I mean, again, it's one. Of the, the, but the biggest challenge I think for all asylum seekers and even domestic workers and migrants um, and refugees is that there's a tremendous gap um, that is growing actually in Cyprus. I think, between what the law provides or what the procedure should be and what is actually happening in practice. And part of this, again, is, you know, again, there should always be a vulnerability assessment upon arrival. This doesn't happen. Um, people should have unfettered access to health care, um, even in a especially in a pandemic. This proved not to be the case if you didn't speak the language. I mean, again, it's interesting. I was listening to Kais and Zivka before, the, the role of language. Um, one of the biggest problems that we had was that we had French speakers who would come to us and say at the beginning of the of the pandemic, and they would say, I have a fever, I have chills, I have all of these things. We would call, they would try and call the national helpline for COVID because you couldn't just go to a health facility and they would get hung up on, unfortunately, because they couldn't be understood. And again, it wasn't, I'm, I'm pretty positive that that wasn't really what the government was trying to, I mean, again, that's the practical result of not having all of these things in place to be able to create to help with the transition these are sort of practical barriers i mean they end up having tragic implications for the individual migrants and this is where we you know where the ngos are left to kind of chase after to kind of fill the fill the gaps but i think these are some of the practical barriers to adjustment um and language as as everyone has said in cyprus i'm 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 struck again because it's uh, most people in cyprus do speak english as well but it Again, it, the difference between someone not being able to have a basic sort of survival Greek is tremendously um, significant and can have, you know, um, it can make the difference between whether you get service from either a bank or a government office or an employer um, uh, or the labor office uh, or not. So I think these are the, as I said, I, I was struck by the, the, the same themes that we are facing here in terms of, uh, of reception and, uh, and these sorts of things. If yeah, if I may uh, uh, yeah, refer to Kaisa's and uh, then afterwards to Elizabeth, what, what she said. Uh, Kais mentioned this uh, uh, triarchy in the system. You have the Biodeutsch, as uh, he called it, and it's pretty much the, the term that Germans use for themselves. Uh, also to describe that their origin is German, pure German, uh, grandparents, grand great-grandparents German, so you're Biodeutsch. Pretty much you can also recognize on their standard name. Uh, and um, then you have the migrant that has been raised here, brought up here, lived all their life here, know nothing of any other country that the parents are coming from. Um, and then you have the new refugee, asylum seeker. And um, this is a triarchy which does not always uh, work very well together. Uh, even it's it's at some point you even have the migrant, the guest worker migrant, uh, that is against the refugees. This is a rhetoric that has been developed uh, in recent years that you even have migrant population being against the new migrant population that is uh, rising or on the rise, uh, while the bio German is the one that has the 
um, I don't know, is um, kind of having their own guilt feelings of not being uh, historically well known. So they're trying to over um, overshadow that uh, historical past and be extremely helpful, which is in some points very nice, very good because they're confronting, they're permanently trying to remember uh, and uh, not forget about what what happened in the past, which which is it makes the whole system very complex as to where you stand as a refugee, as a migrant, as a person in this society. Um, I I believe that since the moment I also arrived in Germany, um, I have been called very different names. Like you're you're having an issue trying to pronounce my name. Well, try coming in Germany and like nobody knows how to pronounce my name. I've I've been called thousands of like Shivka, Chivka, Jivka, Gifka, whatever, like everything. And this is something I, I could just if I could just put this as an example of how Germany is trying to do this. Like, with a lot of integrational officers on a local level in local governments, they're trying to put a, an example of we're not anymore just Thomas or Gertrud or I don't know Ang- Angela. We're also Mohammed. We're also Ahmed. We're also um, Camilla. It's like basically evolve from that prospect. Like Germany is not just this basic bio-German. Germany has become, it's been for a very long time. And this is where German society is coming now at, at this point. But you have this parallel, like the structure of political negativity. Germany has a racism problem, like within, deep within its culture. And it's so down, down rooted there. Like it, it I don't know how they're going to manage to like heal themselves up from that. But um, it's definitely not going to be in 2021 when we're going to face a lot of negative rhetorics on all of these issues. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of lost it there with Elizabeth, but I'm sure we're going to find it again. We're going to find a thread again. So go ahead, Holly. You probably have mm-hmm. questions for us. Well, you guys have already been answering all of the questions without me asking them, which is exactly what I want. Um, but yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, you are overachievers. We're overachievers. <laughs> but to me, it is fascinating to look at a country in Germany where they do have the resources to help new arrivals, um, to economically um, provide support to refugees. And there's still a major racism problem but the thing is in cyprus it's more like you can see it more like you can see it um in germany see what inside the racism like you can see that in the news whereas germans Mm. i think are more likely to pretend that it doesn't exist that they live in germany this is a european country they've moved on from their past um Mm. 
So even I think, I think this this again I'm not I'm not I'm not apolog I'm not as an apologist for Cyprus at all in this I, I have no tolerance for for racism but it's a very small I mean I think it reflects the difference between the size of Germany and the experience of Germany and the location of Germany and the size and the experience of Cyprus Cyprus is a very you know for all of its multicultural aspects and for all of for being a crossroads throughout history it's a very sort of introverted kind of um, white kind of place, you know? So um, it's a little bit, their experience is limited, even the, the language. I mean, I think it's one of the, the interesting things is the reference to anyone who isn't, I don't know, European in, in could get referred to as sort of black. And that will include Asians, that will include, I mean, which is the most bizarre thing for, for people who are used to being in a different uh, context where you have to use politically correct language, where you have to reflect diversity and e even in language. I think it's striking in Cyprus that it's struggling with itself still. I mean, it's because this, this phenomenon of, of very large amounts of migrants. I mean, while there have been domestic workers here for decades, um, again, it didn't socially, I think society is now confronting some of these things. The same is true with mixed race children, right? This is kind of a new phenomenon. They haven't, you're talking about in Germany, the case of, you know, I was fascinated by what you call the triarchy, that there are these people in, in the middle, right, who are the migrants who are German. I mean, they've been raised in countries in Europe. I, I would argue that this generation doesn't yet exist in Cyprus. Oh, okay. It's about to be 18, I think. I mean, it's about, society is going to have to confront it because it's been about, you know, two decades, three decades now where you've had guest workers who came, um, generally Asian, so Filipino, Sri Lankan, who have you know, stayed and had children, and those children are now, you know, in high school. But it's starting now. Separate from the, you know, refugees who have been recognized, refugees who've made their lives here. I mean, I think there's very few of them. Again, it's, it's the numbers are are not very large. So, um, but I, I'm challenged. I mean, one of the things that I would like, I, I, that I think is interesting is this percept, the perceptions and misperceptions that um, citizens in the home, that sort of host countries have, as well as the migrants themselves. I mean, one of the interesting, one of the most interesting projects that we're involved in is, is, uh, is actually called the Perceptions Project, which is funded uh, a Horizon 2020 project that is looking exactly at this, which are the perceptions and the misperceptions that create um, sort of this pull um, towards Europe. But I, it's, What's interesting is this legitimacy, right? In Cyprus, a lot of the migrants and asylum seekers are illegitimate because of where they came from. They came from the north. They, Turkey is sending them. And so there's a, and they're illegitimate because they're economic migrants. They're not really, you know, we really, we, we don't mind um, people who might be fleeing war um, because when the war finishes, they'll go back to their country is the idea, right? Because uh, Cyprus gives Syrians, for example, secondary um uh, doesn't give them, ref may not recognize them as refugees, but will give them subsidiary protection. So the idea is that the case will get looked at again. When things in Syria settle down, they'll go back and they're not allowed family reunification. So this idea of legitimacy in Germany, though, from what Kaisen and Zivka have been saying, has a lot to do with, you know, again, where is your parents? Mm -hmm. Like the, the legitimacy is how German are you? That's the, that's the marker. In Cyprus, it's sort of, okay, it, there's legitimacy in the in the migrant world as you know how did you get here and if you came from the north then oh that's that's like the lowest um, um i could <laughs> i could actually understand a little bit the perspective is totally different uh, geographical space matters and um, there's uh, where cyprus with uh, small 
it's a small entity in the EU and uh, very close to the source of uh, uh, or to the gates of uh, refugees and migration. Uh, it's a different context as Germany because people who make it until Germany, they are like, they, they pass many filters and kind of, as we say among ourselves, la crème de la crème arrives here. So uh, kind of, uh, uh, are the luckiest ones. <laughs> uh, so uh, I can totally understand uh, the perspective of somebody from Cyprus, Greece or Italy, uh, because uh, luckily I didn't travel through land um, but I went to these countries, apart from Cyprus, uh, for touristic purpose. And uh, yeah, I saw it. I went even, I traveled even to Serbia uh, and uh, saw uh, the, the situation from a like, neutral perspective because I wasn't a refugee, but I was just seeing it. What is the on-ground on situation? And you see uh, economy really, uh, it has a very huge role. In, in making the transition uh, easy or bad because if the citizens of a country don't have uh, the normal European Union standard of, of living, you cannot expect them to, to, to give those standards to people who are coming from outside. Like Germany is like very, very forward in, in these standards and they can deal with these issues in a very advanced way as, for example, Greece does in, his, in its situation. But the contrast is that Greece, Italy and Cyprus or Turkey, these, these smaller economies uh, with a lot of population deal with larger numbers of refugees, which I appreciate totally uh, in, in, in terms of volume uh, and and because it's hard to invest on people who mostly don't want to stay. Uh, and I understand that perspective too, because people mostly use these countries for a couple of years to get to better economic uh, states or countries, um, which, which kind of uh, uh, makes things more complicated in terms of transition, uh, integration or inclusion, whatever you may call it. Um, but for the German uh, context, I would say uh, there is a long way ahead in terms of social acceptance uh, and social inclusion and recognition and also education. For me, that's the most important, that, that Germans and non-Germans get educated about each other in, in, in many age groups so that these, these, these unwanted fears uh, disappear. Uh, I come from a very multi-ethnic country. We deal with the same issues, but at an ethnocentric level, uh, because there are like regions where you have like homogeneous ethnic ethnicity living there, and then other ethnicities come there and they are regarded as guests or as not homely. So I can totally get this. This is like human mind full of prejudice and stereotypes, and it just needs some, some, some uh, good experience in the basic level to make it to advanced level. Uh, I can uh, 
go forward with um holly you said that uh, it was one of your statements um uh, germany's financially very powerful powerful in comparison to cyprus it would have uh, definitely the it is the stronger country and it will have more resources and it is all true what germany does not have is the flexibility and the pragmatic uh, pragmatism that a lot of southern countries are showing in handling um and i don't I really don't want to call it a crisis Seriously, this is a, a a word that I have a huge problem with, because it is it it's more of a tragedy. It's uh, that that we call it a crisis, rather than it is a crisis. Um, I see it as a as a result of what has been happening in the Middle East and in uh, countries surrounding the area um, that we probably or that the Western world contributed to. Um, <laughs> that uh, we're now calling it a crisis. I have, an, they can handle it. If they would be more pragmatical, pragmatic, if they would be more flexible, if they would be, if they would be more organized and structure, uh, structured in their handling, it wouldn't be a difficult transition process for newcomers. What I've, since 2015, have, uh, experienced is with every newcomer in a center, in a refugee center, in an asylum center, we have people fighting to understand the next process, to the next step. What what should I do next? And it is with highly educated bio-German sometimes even, that you are sitting there and trying to understand, oh my God, what does the person need to do next in order to have it easier in order to make it right so you have a lot of times that the system fails you in in it in its complexity it does not give you a, a proper way how to how to move how to navigate germany has done very good in terms of and and that this is where a lot of this german migrant population or um comes very much in hand is that it provides a, a a nice network kind of a cradle system for those who do not speak the language even like kai said he's now doing uh translations and interpreter translation for uh farsi i assume or um so and you have a lot of those doing these things a lot of those uh former migrant families where the language has remained because in a lot of cases that kids that grow up here, born, born here, they don't even preserve the language. But it's in a lot of cases that you have that language remain preserved and they are now um, here in the system, which is interesting because up until this point, they were not expected to have this vital role in the community. They were not expected. They are... Those are migrant kids. They were either in gastronomy, either in, um, I don't know, in services, in, in any types of services, but they were not on the pedestal of offering their language as an assistance. And now they became this kind of very important factor, which is also a very interesting perspective. Um, and this is where Germany has done very well, I have to say. I mean, 
the accommodation, the standardized accommodation to uh, for everybody that has been uh, coming in the country. And this is from Berlin perspective. I assume that even if you go into a smaller smaller towns that the accommodation quality would be even higher. What not, might not be higher in comparison to Berlin is this network, this cradle, that, that this bubble that uh, kind of helps you to navigate because you have in Berlin an Arabic part of town where you go and you it's enough to speak Arabic and you can get through life, you know. And smaller towns don't have that, but not necessary. It's not really necessary, you know. This is a system that is well-structured, that is working well, could uh, could provide this transition, could just be self-explanatory. It's just sometimes Germans are very complex <laughs> in uh, in their concepts of concepts about concepts that are not functioning this is this is the perspective the, the, the perspective sometimes i have even from germany i have yeah i, I mean i have it's so interesting because Jivka, i think that we you know sometimes uh we will start our mornings there are very few actors that deal directly um at the grassroots with uh, migrants and asylum seekers in cyprus and so it's it is often the case that the three or four ngos and unhcr have a discussion one morning about something to try and figure it out and by the middle of the day we each have had a different you know the, the government will say okay the procedure for asylum today is x you know or the office is closed it's not closed it's open it's, you go here for an id you go here for and by the middle of the day, all three of us or four of us have had a different experience. And we have the exception to the rule that we were told in the morning. So I was just echoing what you were saying about the fact that sometimes, and I think, again, I'm not apologizing for Cyprus. I just think that part of it is that the, the systems are overwhelmed. They haven't yet, not only did they not foresee this piece that would have to deal with these large numbers of asylum seekers, yeah. but they just haven't had time to catch up. And so it's, they just, you know, they're making it up as they go along. And you find a very competent person who who's kind of wants to cut through the bureaucracy and things work for two or three hours until they become absolutely overwhelmed and then it stops. And then, you know, they find another thing. And then the bureaucrat, so, or you'll find the opposite, a, bu a bureaucrat who doesn't perhaps appreciate um, the perspective of the asylum seeker or the migrant or the non-local um, who will say, oh, no, couldn't possibly make an exception. You know, this is the rule and we're going to be very hard and fast about the concept of the rule. So, so thank you. Well, it's very interesting that the, the commonalities and the themes that I'm hearing are so are, are fascinating. Okay, so I don't want to keep you guys much after the time I said you would. So if everyone could have their last um, comment on this, that would be wonderful. What I would what I would just tone is that I really really hope that uh, and this is basically what Elizabeth just said. It's like we're whatever structure we have we seem to be overwhelmed after uh, an hour after an, two days after a month it's again that we're still overwhelmed and i have the i i made a break i had a break between 2015 and 2021 uh in working in the center and um, i had to unfortunately have the same experience like in 2015 i was like oh god it's overwhelming it's a lot it's it's i just kept on bringing it at home now i can separate myself from my work but what i notice is the system is still overwhelmed and this is 
what makes me sad is like why why don't we learn why didn't we why didn't we at that point uh in europe and this is something i um I wrote my PhD on how to build a migration system. And uh, uh, when I was explaining it, I was supposed to, as, as, a, as a candidate, you're supposed to explain it to your grandmother like so that she would understand what you think. And I was like, when I started explaining it to her, was uh, or in my mind, it was, okay, we build a house. This is our system. And the system is up there in order for it to function we still need to build the the ground first we need to build it from the ground and go up what we have been experiencing in migration politics in europe and in the european union in particularly is an ad hoc policy and it just keeps on coming it's we are reacting it's like it's it's a, it's a day in a center. It's your day probably, Elizabeth. It's my day that you go in the morning and you're like, okay, today I'm going to do this. And you're reacting. Instead of acting, instead of making a plan, you're reacting to what's been, what's been hitting you, you know, throughout the day. And I really would like to have a year in which we would say, you know what, this year we actually acted. We thought about it. We built something, and then somebody else can react to it. This is my thought for today. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course, it's our pleasure. <laughs> oh. Well, that will be too too difficult for Germany to to establish change. You know, this 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 society is the most resistant against change. <laughs> Uh, especially in terms of governance and paperwork, uh, which is unfortunate. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I'm so uh, optimist uh, because uh, my background suggests so. Um, uh, I see uh, a, a very uh, new wave of movements among youth and young people. I'm not counting so much on the older generation because you cannot change the mentality of a person who is above 50 years old. Uh, but I'm so happy that new uh, young Germans uh, travel around Europe at least <laughs> and, uh, and to get to know some other cultures. And uh, I think there is more openness than uh, it used to be like 10 years ago, uh, almost. I came once uh, on 2012 in Germany uh, and France uh, through some work projects from Afghanistan and go, went back. So in comparison, I would say uh, there's much happening each year and there's in one side European integration going on because it's my major and Europeans among themselves, they, they have an issue of accepting each other because there are some countries who are like the big shots and taking over the affairs and they don't give much of importance to smaller uh, uh, or uh, uh, countries. Um, I would say there is a very parallel front of inclusion and transition going on in Europe uh, and, 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 and with the rise of nationalism, it's it's going to be ugly a little bit, but I think mostly new generation will get through this uh, in midterm, if not in short term. 
And I hope that more refugees from my background engage themselves. That's not one way. I, I, I always, I always uh, talk uh, with my peers who have the same background to get engaged uh, in, in, in educating themselves first and then have a dialogue with anyone, anywhere when they have the chance. It's with these small steps that people can get to know each other uh, and, and politics always plays the divide and rule game. Uh, it's just the people uh, who should get the hold and uh, control because they are the patterns of the society. A kind of politics shapes the opinions, but then uh, accepting a narrative and applying it is the, 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 what, what people can do uh, differently. And luckily, uh, Europe is mostly democratic. And I'm hopeful for democracy to win through this, 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 these challenges. Thank you all for giving me the chance. Oh, thank you guys for coming. And uh, also, um, Elizabeth, do you have any last words? Well, I mean, I think, again, it's just to echo what's already been said, I mean, I think it is impossible. I think Kais gives us a nice hopeful note to end on, which is that, I mean, it may be impossible to change the mind of the extremists, and maybe we should stop wasting our time doing that and focus our efforts on the majority, um, where by promoting a culture of encounter, I mean, I think, again, it does change minds. I mean, I think just having the discussion, you, you know, creating these situations where people just encounter one another and have to confront one another, whether it's in the supermarket or in the schoolyard or in the, I don't know, the line at the migration office or whatever it is, um, can can promote sort of an, uh, an understanding, which will then have this sort of positive um, benefit and to end where we started with it, which is to sort of change perceptions. Yeah, no, it's definitely something that needs to work, be worked on on an individual play, uh, on an individual basis, because people's minds change rather gradually and it is possible that this is going to happen. And I definitely see Germany going in this direction um, and hopefully Cyprus will get to that point, but <laughs> it's a long way. And yeah, I'm also optimistic. Well, we'll see how optimistic with the German and Cypriot migration systems that they can start to be more proactive rather than reactive because they do have a great opportunity to economically benefit from having new arrivals and new people who want to contribute into the economy and society and bring new aspects that they didn't have before. Um, but yeah, hopefully they can start seeing that as an advantage. I know Germany, economically, they have benefited from taking in um, refugees five, six years ago. Like, even if you take out the societal benefit that they've had um, economically, it makes sense. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that they will come around and that we can share, that they will come, these countries will come around and reform <laughs> the system. Um, and reap the benefits for everyone, not just for um, the country, but like for the people who have arrived there and are looking to start a new life free from, yeah, looking, <laughs> yeah, looking to start a new life um, after seeking asylum. This is the fourth of the 12th installment of the Migration 2.0 um, series 
Um, this podcast will be available on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify. Um, and you can also look up more information about the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung Media on their website. So thank you, everyone, for coming and have a nice evening. <laughs> 